0: It's Straight Talk with your host, Father Craig Hochalter, coming to you live. Fisher Commons at Trinity Junior High and High School here in Dickinson. I have two lovely ladies uh, in front of me wanting to ask a question to kick this off. I I encourage all of you, uh, certainly, to call in 877-795-0122 for this Straight Talk. It's a wonderful Real Presence Live segment. It's your opportunity and these two ladies in front of me got to it first but it's your opportunity listeners to call in 877 795 0122 877 795 0122 or send your questions or comments to us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you concerning those topics of the faith. And we have with us Miss Davin Houck. Uh, Davin is a third grader at Trinity Elementary East here in Dickinson. And Davin has a question to start all of us out on straight talk this morning. Davin, good morning. How are you? Good. Is it a good day? Yeah is it i can tell by your smiling you're having a great monday and your mom here as well uh, guiding and supporting you in your question uh, i'm kind of suspenseful i hope it's an easy question sometimes third graders from catholic schools can pull ringers on a priest and so i might have to go off air and do my own research but i'll be back on in no more than 30 minutes uh aaron in case you need to stall or, or do a little bit of banter uh, to avoid uh, the, the the dry air so uh, davin please what is your question is my guardian angel a girl or a boy? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> I've, I've often asked. That is a great question, Davin. So Davin asked in her beautiful third-grade mind, is your guardian angel a boy or a girl? So first I wanna I want to affirm you, Davin, that you know and you believe strongly that you have a guardian angel, right? And they're right here with you, right? They're right here with you. So to ask the question, and you know what? These fifth and sixth graders that, that are going to the chapel now for their daily prayer here in, in the school, they would know, because they preached on it last week, Angels do not have, are not are not known as boys or girls, right? So they do not have uh, uh, either a masculine or a feminine characteristic as we have, right? It's because you have what? You have a feminine, right? You're a girl, okay? And I would be a boy. I'd have the masculine character. So they don't look, they, they don't have that character trait that we have as human beings, okay? Because they're angelic beings. So... They do not have, that's a good question, but they're neither a boy nor a girl. They're an angel. All right. So angels are neither boys nor girls. Now I want to help you out here, Davin. So when you pray to them, it makes sense that you pray to them however you wish. And so if you need to name them, you can go ahead and name your guardian angel. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you know any angels names? Do you know an angel's names like St. Michael is an angel, right? Not a guardian angel, but it's an archangel or St. Gabriel, St. Raphael. So we know that by scripture, we know some masculine names, but that wouldn't make these angels boys necessarily, right? Because they're angels. So they have a different way of living than we do. Does that make sense? You're you're kind of struck by that. You're trying to figure out, okay, is it a boy or a girl? So the answer is it's neither, Davin. It's not a boy nor a girl. But do you want to name him or her? You can. Go for it. You can definitely name whatever name you want to. I would ask your mom if it's a good name, okay, because you want to make sure that we we name them a good name. Uh, And perhaps you just want to call it Davin, right? That's up to you. Or maybe your favorite girl's name or your favorite boy's name. That's up to you. Davin, but that is that is the answer to that great question our guardian angels boys or girls we all have them we need to believe in them they carry our petitions to god they protect us and we can name them how we see fit but no they're neither a boy nor a girl they are without gender and without sex make sense to you she's kind of nodding her head yeah i'm going to talk to my mom about it in the car Davin, you have a great monday thanks for being on air
1: Thank
0: you, Father. You're welcome. Thank you so much. That was an excellent question to get us started off. Here, I want to go to CNN. I want to go top dog here. But no, we're going to talk about Guardian Angels. And we know, listeners, right? We know that, um, we know, and we'll get into this during Straight Talk, I'm sure, but we absolutely know that, uh, it, not only is it the month of the rosary, but it is also the month of the angels. So I hope to close this morning's show with the guardian angel prayer. It is the month of the angels. So Davin comes from a great home. She's asking these questions about angels and we needed, that's a great question. And I'm glad I could answer it. I don't know how fitting it was or how effective I was, but that is the answer. Uh, on the phone, Jim from Dickinson wondering about everlasting punishment after we die in God's love. He's online. Jim, good morning
1: good morning good morning how are you
0: i'm I'm doing well how are you doing
1: good very well thank you
0: what is your question Jim? I appreciate you calling in
1: uh, uh yeah my question uh, relates to um, if we, obviously we define God as love uh, throughout the whole Bible um, it speaks of God's love towards everyone um, we also as a as a parent and of three children, um, I am wondering in reference to uh, after we die, and if, as is uh, said, that some will suffer eternal punishment in hell. Um, I'm just wondering how, as God is our Father and and is love, and comparing that to me as a, a father and. And loving my children, that no matter what they did uh, on this earth, whatever sin they may commit, whatever grievance they may do, they—I could never, as a parent, say that they've done anything that I would condemn mm-hmm. them to an eternal punishment in in uh, uh, hell, which, whatever that—that's fire or. Whatever pain that it may be. Mm-hmm. And God is obviously our Father and loves us even more than we can love our own children. I struggle with wondering how He would condemn any one of His children to an eternal punishment of pain and
0: sorrow. Yes, G- Jim, I'm glad you called in. It's a great question. This is one of those uh, I call them God questions that <laughs> when when I die and God willing I go to heaven, this is what I'd ask. These are I have like probably 105 questions I'm going to ask God because it's it's difficult um, you know to really understand how God, who is infinitely merciful and loving as you're saying, and wants us to enjoy his everlasting love can can, as you say, condemn us to hell. So this is the way I'd answer it. This is the first thing, I think, Jim, and this helps me understand it. When you read the lives of the great saints, um, uh, when, we leave the lives, when we read the lives of the saints, it's important to know that uh, the saints always saw it as us choosing hell, right? That our, our sins, those mortal sins that move us to hell, are decisions on our part. and And that's how... We can, on one hand, know we have a father who is infinitely merciful and loving, and yet he allows us, due to our free will, uh, to choose through our actions a place of of eternal punishment. And so that's how, if if can we believe in a God who loves us to death, but then allows us to spend eternity in in in, in hell? I think that's the best way we can answer it and understand it. Is we choose that through our own and because we have free will, God allows it to happen. That he's not going to put a roadblock there because then he's taking our freedom away. Do you well, understand how, that, how does Jim? That
1: work with, well, how does that work with the young child who who knows does not know better? <laughs>
0: And you know what? I think with a young child, I think that that, that's a great point. So when it comes to young children, not understanding, I think we need to give them their youth that even in our end, right? And the, the great saints, I mean, these are saints that mystically were in conversation with God, not even they fully understood it. So I don't think the goal should be, we need our children, our grandchildren to understand it fully. So they get it. That, that is a temptation we want to say no to. We always want to have the eyes of faith. So even though there's mystery Mystery is something that we can know something about, but not everything about. So we wanna make sure that we don't have the intention to exhaust it. Like I need to know the final answer. We need to be okay with uh, not gray, you know, not loose ends, but we need to be okay with not knowing everything uh, and, and living life with some mystery in it. And we fill that space, Jim. Wait, we fill that space of, I don't know everything, or it I, I feels like this question is unanswered. We fill that with faith. We do everything we can when we wake up in the morning and as we retire in the evening to make sure that every day was given to God and our friendship with Jesus. And if we do that, then the question of spending eternity in hell, we know in faith that we won't end up there because we know that Jesus will respond to our devotion to him by bringing us to heaven. Jim, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, I, I hope that uh, I hope that spurns some prayer for you, and please give that uh, to your friends and family. You have a great day. Thanks, Jim. Another call in. Thank you. Call please call in eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two with all your questions on Straight Talk. Ginny from Dickinson. Good morning, Ginny.
1: Good morning, Father. Um, yesterday at breakfast we had a discussion in our group about how often Catholics can receive communion, how many different Masses mm. can you attend, and, and can you receive communion? Um, what are the current norms? Because it seems to have changed over the years, and so there's some confusion. If I go to a daily Mass, say, Saturday morning, and I go to a funeral Mass and a wedding Mass, and then go to the Saturday... The the vigil mass for Sunday. Can I attend? Can I receive communion at uh, all four of those masses, or is there a limit?
0: Uh, that that's a good question. So I think first, um, there is a limit, but the limit is spiritually, Ginny. So I would say this, we have to remember, and this I think solves it. So we, we can move away from a hard and fast rule by acknowledging that the goal of our life is not to receive the Eucharist as much as possible. So that's one. And two is the more we receive, the better we are. That's not, that's not true. So I think holding, holding in our mind that for centuries, okay. And even till now that even great saints would receive, you know, they would, they would receive sparingly. If not every week, they would receive once a month or, or every couple of months, just due to their own devotion only as of the past hundred years. We're not talking 50, we're talking a hundred years since the beginning of the 1900s was daily communion encouraged. So daily communion became a strong devotion, and I think that would be a good parameter to set, that if we go to Mass every day, no matter what that Mass is, a daily Mass, a funeral, a wedding, or a Sunday Mass, that that's what our Lord wants, us to receive the Eucharist. Now, in practical life, like you're saying, if I have a funeral, if I have a wedding to go to, I would go to two. My advice is two. Once you receive past two, I would... Go to the mass. Go to the wedding. Go to go to the four o'clock Saturday evening mass. But I would refrain from receiving Holy Communion. We must. So here here's the point. People usually think that they're obligated to receive Holy Communion, so that mass counts. That's false. If you're in mass, that satisfies the obligation. Receiving the Eucharist does not does not satisfy it. It's being in mass. So in your situation, which I think is which is a very lively day, a daily mass, a wedding, a funeral, and, and a Saturday evening mass, I would receive two on that day. I would receive two. And, and you know, wake up in the morning knowing your day, pray, and and choose which two. It would make sense to me that you would receive at the funeral uh, on behalf of the repose of that soul, and then you receive at the 4 o'clock for your Sunday mass. Ginny, does that make sense? Very good. Appreciate you calling in, Ginny. You have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks.
0: Christina, good morning. You're calling in on Straight Talk. I'm your host, Father Holcutter. How can we help you this morning?
1: Good morning, Father. My question has to do with death. Okay. I am wondering, um, when we die, are we to be buried completely, like we cannot be cremated? And then, leading from that question, um, does that mean we also would not be able to be an organ donor? You know, if we were to be in a car accident or something, and wanted to donate
0: organs? Yeah, two, two separate very, very good questions. So uh, the Church does encourage uh, bodily burials. Um, she, she encourages that we, we would—although uh, cremation is allowed, it's not a sin, it is allowed. Um, after the funeral liturgy, of course, the Church insists that at the liturgy itself, at the, the, the mass of Christian burial, that the body— uh, lies restfully uh, in the casket uh, She does allow that the cremation can occur um, but, but I as a priest would never encourage it nor would, nor, nor would the church encourage it She would encourage by way of symbolism And by way of, of prayer That we hold the body until through burial That at the vigil So there's three parts to the funeral The vigil, the funeral mass itself And then the burial That we have the body there, and we can look to the body as a reminder that after the resurrection, we will all have our bodies um, in relationship to the first question, either in heaven or hell. And of course, we pray for in hell. So that's the first question. Uh, We are supposed to be buried completely. That's the encouragement, but it's not sinful. Okay. It's not wrong per se to have your body cremated after the funeral liturgy. Okay. Okay. And how, how does that relate to organ donation or blood donation while living? Blood donation is always encouraged. If you're healthy and you have that good blood, absolutely. That's a great act of charity. I highly encourage uh, listeners, if you're able to donate blood, blood. regarding organ donation, that's a, that's a, a diff, more difficult topic. Um, organ donation can be a very good thing um, in special situations, but uh, it's very difficult uh, to give that, that hard and fast rule. Uh, christina i would say that it's case by case and when the situation surfaces you would ask a pastor or your parish priest uh because it it oftentimes is situational it is not uh, one general norm that guides us if donating an organ is is moral or immoral okay mm, okay thank you christina okay. god bless yes, you thank appreciate you, Have you a calling in. yeah you too we'll see you thank
1: you bye-bye
0: Another caller from Dickinson, man, the Queen City, my hometown, is rocking this morning on Straight Talk, 877-795-0122, or plug your questions on this wonderful segment uh, on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Laverne, good morning.
1: Good morning. Yes, my question is, we as Catholics, are we to accept everything the Pope teaches?
0: Say that again, Laverne.
1: Okay, we as Catholics, uh-huh. are we to accept Everything the Pope teaches—that he is completely infallible.
0: So the the uh, um, yes and no, <laughs> Laverne. Um, <laughs> it's it, uh, the uh, Pope Francis or, or any Pope. We we must remember that it's the office, right? Not the person. It's the office um, that the charism. Of okay. infallibility. So what that means? So the grace given by the Holy Spirit to be infallible belongs to the office, uh, not to the man. So um, the Pope knows, and the Pope cannot say whatever he wishes, um, and and then that's to be taught as true. Okay, that's not how infallibility works. Infallibility is the promise by our Lord given to the Church that whoever holds, wh- whatever man. Okay. Francis, Benedict, John Paul, um, whatever it might be, wh- whatever man holds the office of, of Holy Father is protected from leading us to error in matters of faith and morals. So if the question is do we accept everything the pope teaches? No. We don't accept everything the pope teaches. Do we accept everything the church teaches? Yes. Do we accept everything that the pope teaches in the name of the church? Yes. Right? But 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 when it comes down to like a personal interview the pope is giving, right? And let's say he's he's offering what he thinks is is the the best the best um you know, the best soda pop to, to drink to become a saint, well, of course, the church would never, ever teach something like that. He might say something like a Diet Coke or a Pepsi. That doesn't mean that we follow that with, you know. It, it all depends on the situation and how he's teaching it. Uh, does that make sense to you, Laverne?
1: It, it does. Because, um, yeah. you know, a question like saint Paul, Pope John Paul said, you know, with uh, the instance of uh, the death penalty. Yes. It could be justified sometimes, mm-hmm. but my understanding Pope Francis says never.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and in fact, the, the the moral teaching of the death penalty is hotly debated, and it has been, I would say, since the pontificate of John Paul II in the 80s and 90s, and when he re, he wrote his his wonderful. Um, Encyclical, or or really two wonderful encyclicals uh, on on morality, uh, both Veritatis Splendor and Evangelium Vitae, um, the Gospel Life and the Splendor of Truth. Um, He makes notes in both of those encyclicals on this debated topic of the death penalty. Now, when Pope Francis has spoken on it, I don't think he's gone to the he hasn't gone to the degree of saying so in encyclical, and that doesn't have to matter in terms of the truth of what he's saying. But I will tell you this, when it comes down to comparing what John Paul II taught on the death penalty and what Pope Francis taught on the death penalty, we always need to, to use as a tool tradition that we, we need to bring into uh, our understanding of the death penalty, Both sayings of the popes. We need to bring in moral teaching that has always been taught. We need to bring in the catechism, and we need to bring in, um, I would say, you know, the long-standing tradition of what the church teaches on the the death penalty. So we never want to just look at John Paul and Francis as these are the only two that have taught this. What we want to do is we want to look at them and go from there. Okay. Does that make sense? That's
1: helpful. Yes, it does. Hey,
0: God bless you. Thank you for calling in. Straight talk yes. here.
1: Thank
0: you, Father. You're welcome, Father Hochulter, uh Fisher Commons brought to you live. Straight talk. Please call in or post them on Facebook. Eight seven seven is the number. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. Good morning, Clara from Bellfield. How are you? Good. How old are you, Clara?
1: Um, I'm nine years old.
0: Nine years old. What grade? Third. Third grade. Man, third graders are taken real persons live by storm. Clara, what's your question? How can I help you this morning?
1: Um, did Mary did Mary die or was she just brought up to heaven alive?
0: I love that question. I love that question mostly because I love the answer. So I I like teaching what the saints taught because the saints are in heaven, right? They're best friends of Jesus. Claire, do you want to be best friend of Jesus? Yeah. Do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. So do I. And that's why I, I want to be best friends with Jesus and I want to go to heaven too, which is why I want to think the way the saints thought. And the saints thought that Mary simply fell asleep. She did not die, but she fell asleep. And during her rest, she was brought body and soul into heaven, because we know that she was not able, uh, she she did not die uh, in the sense that we die because she was immaculately conceived that she, she, her, her body, right? And her body would never suffer the pains of death, but that she was simply, she simply fell asleep. And in her sleep, she was brought through the mercy of God into heaven. How do you, what do you think about that?
1: I did not know that.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's a big question. And, and some will say that there is a possibility that she could have died uh, in union with her son. But, but the strong tradition holds that Mary simply fell asleep. And during that, she was brought into heaven. Do you know what it's called when Mary is brought to heaven alive? What do we call that? Do you know? We call that the assumption, Clara. The assumption of Mary when she is brought body and soul into heaven. Okay. Okay. You have a good day, Clara. Thanks for calling in. Okay. See you later. Bye. Good morning, Bob. Next caller on Straight Talk. How are you? Yes, I'm
1: just fine, thank you. I have a question. In the Gospel from Luke today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Were the Samaritans considered Gentiles at the time?
0: Um, yes, if yes, if you mean anything. So, if you mean non-Jew, yeah, uh, uh, they. It's it's not as it's not as. Um, I should probably should do some more research. It's not as Black and white is—I want to say—they're they're considered um, Jews or not. It, when when you say it, it, it depends the way you're, you're defining gentile. Bob, d- does that make? I f- see. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I,
1: I just had that question. I was always curious about that.
0: Yeah. So it it, um, it, it depends. Uh, I, I mean, Samaritans uh, can be seen as Jews. They're they're not Gentiles. So in, in the covenant, th- they are they are not they are not Gentiles. Bob. Got it. Got it. And that's right. that's usually how we're referring to them. If you're asking or if you're trying to make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, we'd want to put Samaritans. Um. We, 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 it's difficult to put them with, with either group. Sure, sure. Okay. All
1: right. I do appreciate your
0: answer. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Good morning, Diane. This is fellow Hochulter on Straight Talk. Diane's coming from Bismarck. In regards, she says, she's not on the phone. In regards to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, Diane writes, Do you have any pointers to help with preparation for the examination of conscience? Yes. um, I would say this. There are a couple of companies and there's a couple of organizations in the Catholic Church, Diane, that have excellent examinations of consciences. Um, They're long enough. They're not exhaustive, but they're long enough to help you and I make a good and holy confession. They go through the Ten Commandments. And they give concrete examples of each commandment and how we might sin against it. That is the best way I think. That my that's my pastoral advice. If you want to do a thorough examination of conscience, find one, find material that goes through the ten commandments and then then distinguishes each commandment by action. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's a couple of pamphlets out there. There's a couple of materials out there. You can Google it. Uh, I'm sure if you go on Real Presence, uh, yourcatholicradiostation.com, there's links, Uh, but I can easily send uh, excellent materials that go through the commandments by action. Here in studio, uh, Fisher Commons from Trinity High School. We have two students with us uh that have a question i like this in studio straight talk it's a little bit more real and a little bit more human uh good morning emily
1: good morning father how are you i'm good
0: emily is an eighth grader here at trinity junior high and high school emily what's your question
1: so can a person who's gotten a divorce receive communion at mass
0: can a person who's gotten a divorce receive communion at mass uh yes they can so um I'm, I'm gonna qualify that so they can if they're living a lifestyle in accordance with the church's teaching right and you would say that too so emily you can receive communion at mass if you're living a, a lifestyle that's in alignment with what the church teaches i can receive it right obviously it's a priest i'm going to okay uh aaron our production assistant if he's living a life in accordance with the church's teaching yes you he or she can receive holy communion even if divorce is a part of their history that's a good question emily doesn't answer it she's nodding me she's giving me a little yeah. bit of a grin she's now this is a full smile from emily good emily you're, you're satisfied excellent next to her we have autumn autumn good morning
1: good morning father
0: autumn also has a question autumn is an eighth grader from trinity junior high and high school here in dickinson autumn what is your question
1: so if you have a family member that is transgender
0: how do you support them if Adam asks a really good question. Adam asks, if you have a family member who is transgender, identifies with transgender, how do you support them? Well, the first thing is love. Okay, and and Adam's wondering, okay, well, how do I love them? This is what I would do, Adam. This is what I think the church teaches, and I think this is what you can do. So first and foremost, you show them that you love them, that no matter what they believe in, how they act, how they speak, you're always going to respond with love, because that's what the gospel asks us. Now, how do we concretely do that? If they invite you, he or she, in, he or she invites you to um, question them or give them answers or, or present the church's teaching. You do that in a full way. If they ask those questions, um, if they're doing things right that would not be in accordance with the church's teachings, you would not join them in that. Right? You would. You would allow them. Okay. You would discourage. Right? You discourage bad behavior. You would discourage poor choices made in that lifestyle. And, and I think that's how you best love them. You tell them that you're not going to join them, even as a you said a family member. Right, You would say no to that behavior yourself. And you would hold strong to that autumn even as an eighth grader. But that when they come back to you, when they need support uh, for their own faith, when they need questions asked uh, or answered, that you'd be able to give them the answers they need. Does that make sense to you? Yep. So you, you always love but you don't approve. Okay, that's the difference, is that you would never say yes or I agree with what you're doing. You, you always state your disapproval and knowing that, that identifying with that can lead to bad behavior and immoral behavior, but you love them for who they are just as God would autumn thanks for thanks for being here uh, in studio Fisher Commons we have one uh, we have a few minutes left here uh, for the final question here on straight talk autumn thank you very much uh, from Williston anonymously written we have friends and family who have left the church in addition to praying for them what's the best way to help them return to the church I think the i think the best way to do that is just to give them gentle invitations to church events if not the mass you invite them to a church sponsored event like a like a youth conference a eucharistic congress uh, a parish mission anything outside of the church's sacraments that might be burdensome to them you would invite them to join them for the fraternity and communion that oftentimes the church does so well that's how i would bring them back to the church in addition to prayer is you invite them to be with you at church events A full segment of Straight Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your questions. You can always call in or post on Facebook. I'm your host, Father Craig Holcoulter, coming to you live from Fisher Commons, Trinity Junior High and High School. Don't touch the dial. I'll be right back.